0: I have been watching, or we have been watching, a great show, and it's kind of a swim geeky show, but it's been a great show. And I want to go into a couple things. One is needed to have something that was inspiring and uplifting. There's a movie that I, or documentary movie, I'm not sure which it is that I really want to watch, but right now I don't have the capacity to be able to handle it. It's going to be some really hard stuff and it's called Promising Young Woman. So if you've watched it, I've heard a lot about it. It's definitely in my queue. We're going to watch it. I think it's really important. And I'm also really tender right now in realizing that. And so what do I want at the end of the day or on a weekend to fill up my brain? What does my soul need? What will support me? So we started watching the Michael Phelps trilogy. It's like a three-part and it's on Peacock, which is some sort of a streaming app. I don't really understand how we have it or why we have it, but we do. I have more TV than I know what to do with. And it has just been fun to watch. And of course, like my family's swimming, right? And it's only actually my husband and I are that are watching it. But I was there in 2000 when Michael Phelps made his first team. I don't know Michael Phelps. He wouldn't know who I am, but it's fun to watch this. And even though there's so much swimming in my house, we don't talk about training sets and threshold and VOT max. Like, I don't even like to talk about that as a coach the things that I like to talk about as a coach, <laughs> surprise, surprise, is about behavior, mindset. What are the key attributes that are really important for this person? So it's fun to watch this trilogy and know some of the behind the scenes stories. And then also hear Michael Phelps's perspective about the races. But as I was thinking about that Well, actually I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about emotions and where my clients are right now and how hard it is with COVID. And it's like another wall of COVID fatigue, right? People are tired of the pandemic and wanting to go back to normal. And I've been talking about this of that we're not gonna return back to normal, but it doesn't mean it's bad, but the uncertainty is really tough, especially because we're all so raw. So I was thinking about like, explaining the value of feeling our emotions, which all of you are like, Corinne, please stop. But I was thinking about how that aligned with what Michael Phelps was talking about with the Olympics and the games and his whole preparation and success. And they both align really well. So I'm going to go through his story when I picked up and then go back to aligning with the emotions and after the race and why it's so important. So there are a couple things. There's one, every time you use the word perfect, I would like cringe. I'm like, no, you have to stop saying perfect, right? I'm like trying to get people out of doing things perfectly. And then there's Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian of all time. Very, very successful, right? I think at one point he had like 38 world records. Don't quote me on the numbers, but you know, amazing, phenomenal swimmer. Amazing. But one of the things I want to talk about perfection is just a little plug is perfection is the birthplace for shame right which is the root cause of eating disorders drug addictions alcoholism right it's it's how we sabotage ourselves so there's a difference between what he was doing was really striving for excellence he wanted to be the best but he kept using the word perfect and and that's okay that's what he knows but my invitation for you is when you're striving for your goals, strive for excellence, strive for doing better than you've done before versus hustling for our worth or trying to put on a shield of what may look perfect, but is a shit show underneath. Okay. So there were so many lessons that if you go and watch the three part series, and they're pretty long, I think we've only finished the first two. I think one's an hour, the other one's like 90 minutes, but There are many lessons to capture from watching this three-part series. The ability to focus, right? Which is so, so important. I've talked a lot about the dedication and the commitment that like, I'm going to go in and do this. I'm going to pursue what I want, not wait for somebody to grant me the permission, like really to go after and say, like there was a comment in there where he said, he didn't really know who Mark Spitz was. And he, he wanted to be the best, like he wanted to be Michael Phelps and be the best. Right. And it wasn't arrogant. It was, this is what I want to go do and achieve and focus and come Admit, and how often do we do that ourselves, right? Being able to see, and I think a little bit more for you all of what does it take? It's not just 2008 and eight Olympic gold medals, and that's amazing, but it's what are the years and years of preparation from 2000 to 2008, the constant practicing, there's the training at practice, but then there's also the practicing of the competition, and getting things so precisely. And he talks about that, like, Hey, it's at this minute. Oh, the meets 90 seconds behind. My clients always laugh because I'm pretty much an on-time person. And sometimes if I show up, you know, a minute late and I thank them for their patience and they're like, Corinne, it's only a minute. And I'm like, you're talking to a swim coach where hundredths of a second matter, right? And Michael Phelps won a gold medal with one one hundredth of a second. So this is the world that I live in. Time really is matter, but being able to see that and like, okay, what does it take? What's the process to get that result? And I'm not saying for you to want to be an Olympian. I mean, that's not even in my right? I'm a middle-aged woman. So that's not a goal I have, but it's always interesting to see the windows of possibility because often we compare where we are in the beginning or in the middle of our game to somebody's end result without even knowing what was the process it took to get them to accomplish that. And then of course, you know, there's the mental aspect and the mindset and there's the trash talking. We think, Oh, they're, they're the shiny golden one. Nobody's trying to take them down, but that's not the case. And one thing I want to point out too is knowing one's capacity, right? So I opened up the show saying, I didn't have the capacity to watch Promising Young Woman. I really, really want to watch it. And it's really, really hard. And it's an important movie to watch. And it's important conversation to unpack and walk through with my family. And I'm really raw right now in my capacity. I don't have it right now. I will. And thank goodness for On Demand because I can watch it at some point. Maybe it's in the next couple of weeks. Maybe it's in a few months. So one of the things that he mentioned in there that I was heightenly aware of because of you know my own experiences as a coach, as somebody on the support team you know, of a coaching staff, of going through the Olympics process as a former athlete, and I don't think I really was aware of this when I was an athlete. But was it's about knowing one's capacity. And in the film, he talks about that he would always see his family up in the stands, and the press always made you know NBC always made this big to-do about his mom and his sisters, and then later his wife and Boomer up in the stands. But he wasn't spending time with them during those eight days. Because he didn't have the capacity for their emotions. And that's, you know, and that's not what he said, but like, that's something like he has to be able to be focused on what it, he wants to execute. And that's something that's really important to understand. It doesn't mean that the person's not important to you, but what do I have capacity for? What do I not? It's the same thing with me with the film, but knowing that like maybe when you have a big project, maybe when you're going to go do something that's really takes a lot of courage, what's the emotional energy around you and being aware of that? And so he became cognizant of that. It didn't mean that he didn't care about them and he was able to find ways to connect, but there weren't the family dinners every night after the races, right? At least that's what he was alluding to on the video. That's something really important to work on. What do we think it's supposed to look like versus what's the capacity one has? And then the other thing he t- he mentioned about, and it wasn't using this term, but this is what I talk about is deciding ahead of time. He knew how much time he had to nourish, you know, get in food, get in liquids. He knew the schedule and the timeline between the races to run. I think he swam 17 races in 2008, 17. That's a lot. Rowdy Gaines, who was a 1984 Olympic gold medalist said in 84, I swam four and I thought I was going to die. And you did 17. It's very significant. They were able to do it because they built his capacity over like a decade, right? They continued to build it, refine it, figured out what worked, figured out what didn't work and really time things and say, there was a lot of precision of this is when I need to intake these calories. This is what I need to do. Here's the recovery pit. And then the part that is really significant, how I want to bring it back to you is the stuff that's done away from the pool, right? We talked about the nourishing and the food and the stuff beforehand, but then the after. So one of the things that's really important in the sport of swimming is that after you race, your body produces all this lactic acid that's sitting in your muscles. And so for those of you that, you know, maybe you go and do an athletic event or a run or, and then you get this like rigor mortis, right? Or the piano that falls on your back. Like, if you watch the Olympics, sometimes you'll see a race and it's like, it's like an invisible piano that falls on their back. That's all the lactic acid buildup. Well, in the sport, we train the bodies to be able to handle a lactic acid at a better weight and be able to flush it out. But there's still quite a bit that needs to be done after the race. And in 2004, when we're at the Olympic trials and my husband had a swimmer who was pursuing making the Olympic team and she did, I didn't realize how long it would take like i was even though i was a former swimmer but you know her race was the 100 backstroke and that's like a minute long race <laughs> her warm down and recovery was an hour and it was really slow easy swimming and i'm a let's get shit done kind of gal right it's like okay you do x amount of laps and get out But what I learned back in 2004 was that process after the race of really flushing out that lactic acid, removing it, you know, and then the other thing that the athletes do is they may get massages done to help really release even more stuff that is so important in the athlete's ability to then turn around and come back and perform again at their best. And this after the race is really, really critical. There's another great swimmer, Ryan Lochte. I believe he won the gold in the 400 IM. And he wound up doing this huge like press thing and talking and celebrating it. And he didn't warm down really well afterwards. He delayed the process of flushing out the lactic acid and it really affected the rest of his performance the rest of the week. So while we think it's okay, what what happens when you get up on the block and in that moment in that race for two minutes? It's all the preparatory stuff leading up, and then it's what you do after the race that's really important. So Phelps, Lochte, all these Olympians, they do a great job of being proactive, of becoming the athlete that they want to be by all their training. There's a lot of deliberate stuff by going to a lot of meets, by you know simulating racing events and how that's going to transform by working on increasing their strength or increasing their VO2 mass. There's a whole bunch of stuff, their technical refinement. That's all proactive. And when we think about in our lives, are we leading our lives proactively or reactively hoping that we are found? And somebody then goes, oh, here you go. You can have this result. You can have this goal that you want. These athletes were proactive in becoming who they became. And then what's not really talked about is what happens after the race, that warming down, that flushing out the lactic acid. And I think of that flushing out the lactic acid as it's the metaphor that I'm using for processing our emotions. And it's so, so important to be able to process our emotions. Now here's the thing, you'll be like, but Corinne I've been I'm doing just fine. I don't need to process your emotions. That's the same problem I have with the kids, (laughs) because when they're young, we don't have to worry about lactic acid. They get up, they race, they don't need to warm down. And then when they start to hit puberty, we're starting to teach it. And whether they biologically need to do it or we need to proactively start to teach them how to warm down, this becomes the obstacle of like learning how to warm down, learning how to warm up because they think about when they were a young kid. And could show up at a meet, not warm up, jump up on the blocks, go a lifetime best time, get done, go eat red vines, run around with their friends, maybe drink some Gatorade and then get back up on the blocks. We may have been able to spend a lifetime not really understanding our emotions, pushing down our emotions, not feeling, and maybe we were really encouraged to not feel The problem is, is that for many people, the piano is dropping on our backs right now, or we're coming up against what I call the COVID wall, because we're like, oh, what just happened? And the New York Times just recently had a great article called about languishing, and it's the space in between... A flourishing life versus a life that has depression, it's in the space in between where we're not feeling motivated. And we'll definitely put a link in the show notes so you can go read it. If that helps you give another terminology, maybe you're feeling unmotivated right now. Maybe you're like, oh, you've lost some hope. Hope is the cognitive function of understanding that we can fall down and get back up. And for some people, it can look really bleak. And I've been there and I understand that. Right. So we may be in this languishing. We may, we may be in this place. Maybe you're depressed. None of it is wrong. It's not bad. It's information. And when you can connect to that feedback, that's when you can go into be more of a deliberate creator. Right? Michael Phelps became the greatest Olympian of all time. Not because it was just this nice, easy road that was paved. I remember when he was like 10 years old, he'd come to California for a swim meet and raced against some of my kids that I was coaching at the time. And I was like, Who is this guy? And his strokes were really ugly. They weren't all that fantastic. He beat them by 25 meters. And we're like, who is this guy? Because my kids were pretty fast. But he continued to get better. If you know more about his story after the 2012 games, you know, there was some significant things that had happened in his life, right? And and he goes on about that. It's not that he was this perfect human being, and that's not what I'm saying. But we want to be proactive about being the leaders of our lives and knowing that we can learn how to process our feelings, feel our feelings. And just like the young kids, you become the teenagers and saying, but I've been swimming forever, Corinne. I haven't needed to warm down. But maybe to do that next race, you get that feedback of, oh, well, you tightened up on lap number five of eight laps, and that's why I didn't do well. And let's look back and, oh, you still had a lot of lactic acid in your system. So what we've done is we've relied on being strong, being able to do it all ourselves. Right? Being able to carry a whole lot of world. Those are my people. Like, right? Like, just work harder and we'll get out of this mess. I understand that answer. It's like, let me just work harder. I'll just work harder and it'll finally get better. It's like we're the Cinderella's of our own lives. And we'll finally reach that promised land, right? And that promised land for you may be getting the love that you want or the career that you want or the family or the friends, right? Doing the things that you finally want to do or the peace or the downtime. But every time you, think you're going to get there, it's still not there. And so then sometimes what we do is we're like, okay, I'm just going to run away and go on vacation and then pretend it's not there and then have to come back and not really want to re-enter, right? I don't want you to have to hide away from your life because it's not working. So the reason that it's harder as we get older is because we're not addressing the problem that we need to solve. And there's a bottleneck of emotions inside of us. So I want to stop for a second and talk about this concept where we, in each of us, we have these three systems. In one of the systems, especially for my people, my listeners here on how she really does it, my clients, the monsters, the athletes that I've worked with for decades, right? We are really good at the doing system. We do stuff. We get stuff done. We're high achievers. We do, 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 because the promise has always been, if you do, 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 you'll finally be able to live the life on the easy street or whatever the dream may be, right? And that worked for some time, but we have two other systems and it's the thinking system. And that's the one I've talked a lot about the mindset and what are the stories that we're telling ourselves and Carol Dweck's been in here. What do we believe about ourselves? That's really important too. And then there's the other system that most of us, including myself, are like, oh, hell no. Feeling system? No, no, no. That's soft skills, (laughs) ma'am. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I get from the Air Force Bam. That's soft skills. It's not soft skills. The feeling systems. We are emotional beings. And I know it. people tell me this all the time. And Brene's been on the show, and I'm trained as in her work for Dare to Lead and Daring Way and all of that. And people are like, Oh, I love Brene Brown. Well, you guys, she's been teaching us about her emotional system. <laughs> Maybe just we just didn't realize it, but we're like drawn to her. And then it's like, oh, but I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to feel, I'm just going to go live perfectly. I don't want to go into the discomfort, but it's our feeling system that is what we need to develop and cultivate. And that's where I see some of the beauty of this really hard time period of our lives where we're in the middle of this global pandemic. We're in the middle of COVID, you know, the opportunity to develop this feeling system for so long, mental health has been a stigma. There's something wrong with you. You're broken. You're not strong. So then you take people like myself. It's like, oh, let me show you. I'm really strong because look at what I can do. Look what I can achieve. I can outdo this. I can outwork this. We used to have a family motto. I don't think this picture frame is around anywhere, but it said, rough, tough, hard to bluff and used to hardship. That was her family motto. <laughs> like, oh gosh. No, we don't bring that into our family mottos anymore. And now it's about like, what are we feeling? And it's okay to feel we are emotional creatures. We may not have developed that system. And the way I think of this is that it's a three-legged stool. There's the doing system, the thinking system, and the feeling system. It's a three-legged stool. And many of us and myself included spent a huge part of our life using only one leg of the stool we're like trying to like sit on the stool but really it's one leg and we wonder why we fall down right and so then we're like okay we're going to cultivate the thinking part we're going to think it better right we're going to get our brains educated that's fine it's still two legs and we're still falling down so the important thing is to really cultivate this feeling system and not being afraid of emotions emotions aren't good or bad and i know we like to label them and i really work at not labeling it good or bad. And I I love to talk about shame. I don't really love to feel shame, but I'm really comfortable feeling it. Like, oh, this is shame. This is what I'm feeling. What's going on? What are the stories I'm telling myself? How am I feeling it? Allowing myself the gift of crying or being mad or being sad or frustrated, just really feeling it to release it and move through. So our feeling system, we must feel And this isn't news to any of you all on the show, because I've been talking about this for years and years and years, but I know we're like, no, Corinne, I just want to shut this down. (laughs) Why do I have to deal with this? Because this is an important system and we need to integrate all three systems because that's what makes us our best, right? So when we go back to Michael Phelps, there is the racing system, there's the preparation system, and then there's the recovery system right? The racing is what we get to see on NBC at the Olympics. A lot of us don't see, and may not be aware of the preparation that goes into the Olympics. And most people aren't even aware of what happens afterwards, but that system, if it's ignored, he couldn't have won all those gold medals. And what we tend to do is we try to ignore that after the race, which is our emotion system. But then that's where we see, you know, the sabotage, the drinking, right? the eating for numbing, the volatility, you know, the bad behavior. I mean, how much bad behavior or difficult people I've dealt with in the last year has been phenomenal, right? Or, you know, some of it's like, I've worked really hard this week. And by Thursday at 2.30, I was like, I just couldn't keep going. And 10 years ago, I used to judge myself by that. Like, what's wrong with you, Corinne? And I needed to do some creative work. There was nothing in, like, I have a Really large capacity, but that jar of capacity was empty. There was nothing there, and I needed to refill it so that I can come back and create again. And before I'd be like, there's something wrong with you. You're just lazy. What's wrong with you? I'd have attacked my doing system. That's not the case. I emotionally spent everything. So it's really important that we recognize all three systems so that we can look at what do we need to fill up? What do we need to move through and release? A few weeks ago, I was coaching a client who lives in a different country. She had a COVID wall, right? She was just like, ah, Corinne. You know, she was feeling pretty much in despair. The COVID numbers were rising in her country. She can't get a vaccine because of the country she lives in doesn't have the access. And she's a frontline worker and she's in the dental industry. and, And so she's, you know, interacting with people not feeling safe to eat inside the office and not being able to, you know, leave. And she was just really, really frustrated, really sad. And it was really hard and heavy. And she checked in with herself on her drive home and been a long, hard day and a lot of people's emotions. And she just felt, and she gave herself permission to feel and she released and she cried on the drive home. That's her after the race. She cried, she let it go. She didn't argue with what it was or what it should be or what it isn't. She cried. She felt her pain. She felt the loss that she's been experiencing, the loss of what it was like pre-COVID, the loss of not having to wear so much PPE, the loss of not having to have the, the anxiety and the stress of worrying that, well, she contract it. She recognized all of that. She went home. She had dinner with her husband. And then she cleaned the kitchen. Afterwards, and took care of herself. And here's why this is so important. It seems so insignificant. Other times, when she would not do her after the race part of feeling her feelings and letting herself feel and releasing it, she would come home, she would eat. She would then go, I don't have the motivation or the capacity to clean, go sit on the couch and numb and eat a whole bunch of chocolate and numb. And she realized. That by allowing herself to go through the discomfort of feeling, she could feel so much better, take care of herself and really nurture herself. And then the next day when I worked with her, it was still hard, but she was in a better place. And then by the end of our session, she was in a much better place. And she even said, Corinne, you are the fairy godmother. (laughs) Not because the initial part, right? Like we've worked a long time. And so that's my example to you is you're going to try this stuff and go, well, Karen, this stuff doesn't really work. It kind of sucks. Like I get it. Think Michael Phelps is putting his body through a whole bunch of pain. It doesn't feel really good. A lot of us don't like to put ourselves through that much pain. You know, what most of us want to do as soon as we're done with that is we want to go and lie down and not have to get up, right? We don't want to go and further move our bodies to flush out the lactic acid. We just want to lie down. It's the worst thing we can do. We don't want to feel the emotions. We just want to hide away. It's like lactic acid buildup. So instead it's about getting in the pool and allowing it to flush out, giving yourself the permission of time, the space to allow the flushing out. And I get it. Many of us are parents. We're in the sandwich. we're parents and we're taking care of parents, which is really difficult, especially in this period of time, or we're taking care of the world or everybody wants us. And how are we going to have that time? Sometimes it's about going into the bathroom and hiding and crying in there. Sometimes it's about like sitting on the shower floor and allowing the tears to come. But that is so important to be able to process the emotions and to release them instead of them building up, where then at some point, we lose it. And the thing that I've learned is, when I didn't know how to process emotions and I was really good at shoving it down and eating ice cream and hating myself and, you know, all of this stuff, at some point, I would blow, and I would leave a lot of mass destruction in the wakes. And so the more that I can feel my feelings and release it, and then it helps me get clarity and I can ask for what I want, the less of the blowing that happens, the blowing up. And it's usually with the people you love the most. So I realize it's uncomfortable to feel the emotions. I I understand it, but it's so important that we create this awareness of what's going on inside of ourselves. Because if we can create it, we can feel it, we can manage it, not like suppress it, but that management, like with Michael Phelps, right? There's the preparation, the learning, the practicing, there's the performance on the stage, and then there's the releasing and being aware of, okay, has this flushed out of my body? You know, I was a 200 butterflyer, not so much. I did long course, but my my best race was short course, but I'm no longer a swimmer. That's not the race that I'm in. But I'm still striving for excellence. I have goals that I want to achieve. I have a life that I'm creating, and I need to remember to stay present and enjoy as I'm in this pursuit. Right? We all have our races that we're in, and it's so important that we take care of ourselves in that recovery piece so that we can continue on. When I work with the Air Force, one of the things because you know they're not favorable about emotions, and it's their armor, and I get it, right? And I say to them. It's not about like sitting there and feeling sorry for ourselves and having a pity party and living in the swampland of shame. But by being able to process and feel our emotions, it allows us to sustain in the work that's really important to us. It allows us to sustain in the relationships that we, we want to be a part of. It allows us to build the lives that we want to have. It's a system, right? And it's part of how we are hardwired. We just may not have had the ability, the I don't want to call it the luxury, but the ability to process it and nobody ever taught it. I think about my monsters, the aqua monsters in my community, at least, you know, most of the families know it's important that they all want to have their kids learn how to swim. So they're very committed to going through this process of having their kids learn how to swim, being a part of swim team, you know, having exercise and all of that. And it's not that their kid is bad because their kid doesn't know how to swim. They haven't been taught the skill set, And then they come and they start to learn, right? And it's so empowering. And the, last week we had our little monsters who like three and four and they're, you know, they came in and they, they, in the beginning they could drown, right? But they came in and they've been getting better. And I was like, okay, we're going to now do big arms. And we've been practicing and they went big arms and they were so proud of themselves. Like I did this as a three-year-old or a four-year-old, I did this. We can go through the discomfort because the life that you want is on the other side of that. Feel those feelings, process those feelings so that you can move through them and they're not weighing you down where they're going to blow. Like Michael Phelps, we must flush out the emotions that get built up in our systems. And the big one is the emotions that we may not be able to know and identify. And so when you can learn them, be able to label them and say, oh, I'm feeling anger. Oh, I'm feeling frustration. I'm feeling sadness. I'm feeling grief. I was coaching a client the other day who it took some time to understand that she was feeling grief. There was a loss of so much and to give herself the space to feel it instead of saying, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Cause it wasn't okay. But leaning into that is going to create so much more growth for her to lean into that hurt. It's actually going to release it for her. So feel, cry, scream if you need to scream into a pillow, right? Lean into the discomfort. Give yourself the space to feel and release the emotions. It doesn't mean you're weak. We are humans. Going through an incredibly challenging time of our lives, and we need to cultivate this emotional system. And then, like Michael Phelps, you'll be able to show up better for your life and create the life that you really want. So, as I close today, give yourself the space to feel emotions and flush them out, just like the lactic acid. Feel the feelings. You are not weak you are not broken. We're creating an emotional intelligence that we can integrate into our other systems so that we can thrive in our lives because we're self-aware. We're able to feel our feelings and we're able to connect with ourselves. Let's thrive together by taking care of ourselves after the race, which is our emotions, processing them. I'm smiling big for you. Hey, was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting. Never been so idle.